Hello, what is going on, everyone? This is another episode of According to Tavi. I'm Tavi Bello, and today I'm here with fellow Manchester United fan, Jay. How's it going today? Welcome to the show. Hey, Charlie. Good afternoon. How are you, buddy? Good to hear your voice. Yeah, not too bad. Trying to survive in this crazy world, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's insane. And what version of normal shall we get? You know, only time shall tell. Exactly. Well, it seems like everything is slowly starting to get back to normal. As as at least it seems like it. You know, I'm actually very excited about today's show. You know, obviously we will be talking about Manchester United and just football in general, I guess, and see how it goes, where it goes. You never know. This could this could end up like a plate of spaghetti and go absolutely everywhere and nowhere combined. <laughs> right, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm just trying to trying to think where to start, really, because there are so many things we could talk about Manchester United, and especially when it comes to this season, which is it is what it is. You know, we've had some good moments. We've had some moments we kind of want to forget. And I definitely want to talk about the history of Manchester United as well. But before we get to that, I'm going to ask you, what do you think about this season we're currently having? Okay, my viewpoint on is this um, currently in second place. Yeah, that is currently right now on paper. However, I don't expect United to finish second based on the fixtures that they have to play and also based on the fact that I believe Leicester are by far the better side. Like last season, if I take you back for two seconds, the only reason I would argue United finished top four was because in the January transfer window, both Pogba and Matamane got injured and United had to reluctantly, and I say reluctantly, buy Bruno Fernandes, whom they should have bought the previous August. So Bruno Fernandes, for me, he's the reason why United got top four last season, and he's the reason why they should get this season. So this whole business of oh second, third, I'm sorry, but Tavi, I grew up watching Manchester United win titles. Sport for me, and I'm sure for a lot of your listeners, it's about winning. Nobody remembers who finished second in the marathon in the Olympics or the 100 metres. You remember who wins the gold medal. And I don't think any player wants to you know, retire and in 30 years' time be sitting down with grandkids. Oh, um, little Johnny, I, I got third three times of premiership, got four, four times. And little Johnny to respond, Granddad, what did you win? Where's your medals? I think I think we definitely should be proud where we are in the table at the moment. But as you as you said, it's just a smoke and mirrors. Uh, we do have some serious problems in the team, and we are rocking, we are recording this episode while we are second in the league, as you said it. But as we all know, it everything could easily change. You know, the season is it's not over, and that's the scary thing. We just don't know what to expect from Manchester United. One day it feels like we can beat anyone everywhere. But on the other day, it seems like we are really struggling and everyone could beat us. You know, Sheffield United this season, for example. That's an excellent point, Abby. Uh, I've, I've said on United Stand many times, Manchester United under the tenure of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's like the quote from Forrest Gump. They're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So for me... The, the one key constant for Solskjaer's reign is the inconsistency. From week to week, it's peaks and troughs. Now, I know we went through that period in um, late December, early January, and we were top, and certain elements of the fan base were losing their minds. Oh, 21 and 21. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, guys, are you actually that deluded? Manchester City are going to come good. Leicester are going to come good. And I actually believed in December, January, that Liverpool would also go on a run, but that hasn't come to pass. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. This second place right now, it's a snapshot in time, but I don't believe come May, that's where we shall be. 
I have to admit, you know, when we were first at uh, the season, I was one of those people. I was like, you know what, we're going to win the league. It's going to happen. It has to happen. But yeah, I guess you were right about this one then. Listen, Tabby, I wish that I was wrong. I would love to be sitting here chatting to you right now. And we are five points clear of Manchester City on the national break. I'd love to be wrong. I take no joy whatsoever out of United going through a sequence of bad results. I take no joy whatsoever of being 11 points behind City. I'm not one of those fans that, you know, capitalizes on the misery. As Larry pointed out, I grew up watching them win. The first ever game I saw in the flesh, now I'm about to give my age away, the 1985 FA Cup final in the old Wembley, back when Wembley was Wembley, I saw Norman Whiteside score against Everton and United win 1-0. And after that, I have become a lifelong fan. So even during the time of the 80s when Ron Atkinson was manager, two FA Cup wins, 83 and 85, and in the league... He was almost there, thereabouts, but could never actually, you know, push to win the league because even though he played United Way, the free-flowing, you know, football with with wingers, there was there was a bit of a culture in the club at the time where certain stars were running amok socially and they were pretty much doing what they wanted. And Big Ron couldn't um rein them in. Then Ferguson comes in. He gets rid of um, a couple of the players. I won't mention their names because I think they're, they were great men. He got rid of certain players that um, wouldn't subscribe to his win-at-all-cost mentality. And then I know it took a little bit of time. He became, became manager in 1986, and he finally won his first title in 1993. But previous to that, he did win the FA Cup in 1990, followed by the Cup of Cup in 1991. So... I did spend my teenage and formative years watching a winning juggernaut where second or third place simply was not acceptable. And it just seems nowadays, I'm just, I'm just looking at the fan base. Obviously, I'm coming at this from a different perspective. You know, I've got 20 years on, on most fans that I, I see in the comments on my, my Twitter feed. Sport is about winning. That's all that matters. And if you're not winning, you're nowhere. So I, I, I'm sorry, but that's just my viewpoint on, on sport. Like Tabby, without blowing me on trumpet, I've won a few national titles and your two European titles in men's physique. I competed international level in cycling. And if I had told my team manager back when I was racing, oh, boss, I got third today, fourth today, team manager like, what do you mean you got third or fourth? It's meanness. It's about to win. So I, I don't accept how standards have been lowered in the fan base, but I do think the lower standards has been because the propaganda put out by the club as a whole has lower standards. Yeah, that, that was a really good point you mentioned. Like it used to be all about the first place and the second place was always kind of embarrassing. Oh no, we finished second. Oh, that's, that's terrible. But now it seems to be just top four. We need to get top four. And that's how times have changed. It's, it's scary. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like back in, 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 in the noughties, if we take Arsenal an example, and there was a huge rivalry between Arsenal and Manchester United after Arsenal won the title in 1998 and we won the star treble in 1999. During the noughties, there was a real robust rivalry between Arsenal and Manchester United. But you move forward to the 2010 era, the, the last, say, five, six years under Wenger, the Arsenal business model no longer became about winning titles, winning Champions Leagues. It became about paying off the debt in the new Emirates Stadium. So getting top four every year for the Arsenal board members, that was the raison d'etre for Arsene Wenger. And it was okay for him to get top four because that was the business model. And the Arsenal fans had to accept it. And I feel 
since Ferguson retired, the trend for the club has been, okay, you don't get top four, you're in the Europa League, we'll invest some money. The following season, you're in, you're in the Champions League, we're getting, we're getting the TV money, we're getting the exposure source media, we don't invest money. And I think we have become this, the same business model as Arsenal in the 2010s. Standards have been lowered because the club have lowered the expectations of the fan base. And many fans that don't understand the history of the club, don't want to understand it, or simply don't care, accept the lower of standards. And that really, really annoys me, Tabby. Yeah. Do you think we could win at the league again with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Well, actually, I'm going to ask you a two-part question. Do you think we can win the league with Ole as it stands, with the backing he has now? And do you think we can win the league with him if he gets the players he wants? If we get the backing, that's an excellent question, and it's a question that I have been asked many times on radio here in Ireland and by my own my own um, social circle. Look, um, I've made my viewpoint clear on Oligon and Solskjaer. I had kept counsel. I said, right, I'm going to give Solskjaer the benefit of the doubt until the end of the season. What I saw against Leicester, team selection and substitutions. That, for me, showed me all I need to know. I don't believe that United are going to win a title under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I don't believe it. I can't see it. Second part of your question, I don't believe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer shall be given the backing. And look, that team... It's a dead squad, and we can go. We can go through the squad position by position, and we can we can tease out who you will get rid of, or I will get rid of, if if you want. And thirdly, I don't believe that Solskjaer has the experience or the tactical nous to effect change in a game with 20-30 minutes to go. You're one goal down, and he makes those little minute tactical switches. I, I haven't seen it from him. So the, 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 the case against Solskjaer, in my view, is he's not the man for the job. But that being said, back to my point, he is getting a new contract. It's come out this week. And I'm paraphrasing because I, I don't have the exact quote. But he's getting a new contract. And winning a trophy this season does not impact on him getting the contract. So that message is sent to the fan base. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the man. Winning a trophy isn't the prerequisite for this manager getting 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 a new contract. That, for me, is whimsical. I think Ole is still... Well, obviously, he's still learning the job. Uh, he even said it himself. But I think he's that kind of manager who just needs more time. Yeah, okay, he's been here for years now. But I strongly believe he's good enough to win the league. And I would love to have him as the manager for the next 20 plus years. I, I just, if, if it's going to happen, I don't know. But I, I think he's that kind of manager who just needs more time. He's a slow learner. You know, most managers maybe, maybe need only two or three years. Some even less. But he might be the manager who needs maybe that seven years, seven, eight years. But on the other hand, are fans patient enough to wait that long? Um, I, I firmly believe, <coughs> excuse me, Skorsgar, he's the perfect manager for the Glazers and Woodward because ex-legend of the club, he has huge support in the fan base that will look back with a tinge of emotion. Okay, Ole Gunnar Thorskar, club legend, great guy, blah, 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 blah. And the Glazers and Woodward know that unlike, unlike Louis van Gaal and Mourinho, Thorskar will not be truculent in the media and call anybody out. 
So for me, he's the perfect um, buffer between the fan base, the board, and the Glazers. And I don't believe for one second, if we had a manager in place right now that we've just been knocked out of the FA Cup, we're playing turgid football, team selections and tactics are questionable. I don't believe for one second the support in the fan base will be there. And that is what the board and the Glazers are trading off. His legacy as a player and the emotional attachment the fan base has to him. That is why they are keeping him in the job and giving him another three years. I don't believe for one second he will be here come Christmas or next May. I don't believe for one second. I just hate changing managers, you know. You know, I grew up during the Alex Ferguson era, and obviously he was the manager for a very long time. And I got so used to this. I was always so proud about the fact that other clubs were changing managers, you know, sacking managers, getting new managers in. But Manchester United always had Ferguson, this one guy, this one legend. Can you see any similarities between Solskjaer and Ferguson when it comes to the job? Or is it really night and day? Okay, um, I I can't personally see any similarities. If you look at Solskjaer's by language during games, he's very passive. He will he will sit in the stand, looking at his laptop, making notes. Vis-a-vis Ferguson would have been on a touchline, screaming and shouting at linesmen and players. So. Personality-wise, they are poles apart. Tactics-wise, they are also poles apart. Like right now, we play essentially with a back six. Ferguson was a risk taker. He played he paid 4-4-2, which on occasion became a 4-4-1-1. He was a risk taker. When United were a goal down, he would gladly take off a centre back or a right back and bring on a winger or a forward and go for broke and try and get an equaliser. And if we lost 2-0 and we're conceding a counter-attack, he'd hold his hands up. Whereas Solskjaer, he'd been such a risk-adverse manager. He is very slow to make substitutions. And he makes them, from my viewpoint, when the game is done. Yeah, we were talking about you know, the, you know, the tactics and the players he chooses. We have to get it on. One the big. What is going, going on with one the big? I just, this is one thing I don't understand. Like, one the big really needs more game time. And I feel so sorry for him. Like, he joined Manchester United to boost his career, to take the next step, happy and excited. And don't even get the proper chance to show his skills. And he's a good player. He's better than, you know, McDominay, Fred, Matic. And all those three players are ahead of him. What is your take on, on this one the big situation? Why is he not playing? Do we even have an answer for this? Tavi, I agree with you 100,000%, my friend. He is head and shoulders a far superior player than Fred Matomine and Maric. There's no question about it. He's a Champions League semi-finalist, a Dutch international that grew up in the famous Ajax system developed by Johan Cruyff back in the 1970s. Dutch children, up to the age of 12, they play in every position on the pitch so that when they go up to the grades and teenagers, they know the movement of every other player around them. I don't believe for a second Skorskar wanted to sign Van der Beek. Real Madrid were in Van der Beek. They didn't have the money. And Edwin van der Sar was instrumental in literally handing Van der Beek in United's lap. He was a star signing last season. He 
Solskjaer, for me, sees Van de Beek solely as backup for Bruno Fernandes as number 10. But I would argue that a player like Donny van de Beek, he can play anywhere in that midfield pivot. And if necessary, with 30 minutes to go, you could, you could stick van de Beek wide right. And with his football nous and tackling ability, he would be a far better option off the wing if you had to play him off the wing than the likes of Daniel James. I just think Solskjaer sees him primarily only as a backup number 10. And you saw their tabby against Leicester at the weekend when, when the changes were made. Van de Beek, wrongly, I feel, was taken off. Yeah. Bruno should have started, of course, but Van de Beek should have been in that, mid, that midfield pivot instead of Fred or Maddich. And I feel the football intelligence that Van de Beek has the players around him don't have it, apart from Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. So, Solskjaer, he is in the stranglehold of, I have to play two CDMs to protect my slow, ponderous centre-backs. I've got to protect them at all costs. Hence, the back six. Because he does not want Harry Maguire to be exposed and that's the question that we can go into big time but that's why if what's from my opinion why when fit he has not played Donny van de Beek in that midfield pivot but the sad thing is like he's trying to protect the center backs uh not to expose Harry Maguire and Lindelof as you said but they have been exposed even with those protections like the protection is coming from CDMs and the protection is coming from the sides as well from the fullbacks it doesn't it still doesn't work so might as well just go all all in and just attack don't use two cdms yeah um i i would argue um if the fans were in the ground for the last 6 8 months would the fans accept that type of football i don't believe they would towards the latter end of jose mourinho's tenure when he was sitting back and playing counter-attacking football, the fan, and I, was, I, went to, I went to four games during his tenure and the, the, the roars from the ground were attack, 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 because it's in the United DNA to play, I know it's, it's a cliche, free-flowing attacking football. City, okay, I, I know Ferguson um, very often when he played an away game in Europe, he did play counter-attack, but that was tactics because he knew, okay, I can I can say I'm, I'm going to um, uh, Valencia or Madrid. I need a point here. I'll take a 1-1 one, one right now. That's different. It's tactics per game. Or Solskjaer, you, you could pick his starting 11. Week in, week out, 4-2, four, 3-1, four, six at the back. And I said I know this band many, many times. He has two... Busted sofas at the back, protected by two additional busted sofas as CDMs. That's not the United that you, Tabby, or I, or people listening, want to see or grew up watching. And I've said it many times, I'm repeating myself, but if your, your listeners may not have heard it, Maguire is Solskjaer's signature signing. He made him captain. We have to park the 80 million pounds because neither Solskjaer nor Maguire had any control over that. Obviously, Leicester pulled off the scam of the century with that money. But Solskjaer made him captain. He picks him week in, week out. He's too slow. He's fantastic at winning a ball in the air. That's Harry Maguire's strength. However, you've seen Harry Maguire many, many times at the opposite end of the pitch when we have a corner kick, oh my God, the ball literally bounces off his head. It's like he's heading a balloon. Yeah. So he can make these, these clinical defensive clearances all the time. And he's, he's excellent at it. But you put him to win a header offensively on a corner or a free kick, and it's like he's heading a balloon. 
Also, I don't believe for one second that Harry Maguire possesses the leadership, communication, or basic charisma to be captain of that club. And that is the man that is leading the troops into battle every week is Harry Maguire. He, he does not inspire confidence. If, if you ever watch, if you ever watch, no, I'm sorry, that's a stupid question. If, when he's making his um, post-match, now usually Maguire isn't allowed to do any post-match interviews. It's usually Bruno Fernandes or Luke Shaw. His post-match interviews, his body language is all wrong. He's looking down at his feet, away from the camera, avoiding eye contact because he doesn't possess the communication skills to even do a post-match interview. And you've seen him on the pitch so many times. When one of his teammates messes up, he never, or sorry, it's rare that he would get in their face and give them a bollocking. You saw many times Roy Keane, Brian Robson, Gary Neville, David, even David Beckham, who was said by many fans, wasn't a shadow on the pitch. But anytime I saw David Beckham tapping a team, when a, when a teammate needed a bollocking, he sure as well did it. Harry Maguire doesn't do it. And that is on the manager. And Solskjaer protects Harry Maguire week in, week out. While for me, I would argue, the best defender of the club, when fit, is Eric Bailly. Anytime Eric Bailly has played beside either Lindelof or Maguire, United are able to play a high line because the Maguire Lindelof know full well, okay, we can press up here now 10, 15 metres if we're caught on a counter-attack or there's, there's a through ball, Eric Bailly will get back and make that cushion deception. I'll take you back to the game against Leicester. Uh, the League Cup game back in December, Eric Bailly had Calvert-Lewin in his pocket for that match. I, I read Calvert-Lewin. I'd love if we got him, but, but it won't happen. Then go forward to the League game a few weeks later, um, the, the draw 3-3 with Everton. McGuire and Lindelof were playing, and both of them committed a litany of errors that allowed Everton to come back into the game. So for me, the answer is simple. You play Lindelof or Maguire beside Eric Bailly when Eric Bailly is fit. Again, that's on a manager. Like, it's very easy for us to slag off Woodward and Matt Judge and the board. Yeah, we will, and rightly so, and they deserve criticism. However, they don't pick the team. They don't set the tactics. That's on a manager. I think everyone who actually watches the game should see it. Eric Bailly is our best defender. And as you said um, on United Stand, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was a really good saying, play him until he breaks or something along the line. That's, that's exactly what it was. That's what it was exactly. Well done. And I think it's so accurate. We have to play him. And coming back to the Maguire, I th- okay, he's the captain. But in my eyes, he's not the captain. I'm sorry. He has the armband. He has the captain's armband. But in my eyes, Bruno is the captain. It is what it is. Bruno is actually leading leading the army, so to speak. And I, I mean no disrespect towards Harry Maguire. As I think as an individual defender, he's good. Yeah, look, as an individual defender, he's average. Is he worth the price tag? Certainly not. But that, that is the defender that Solskjaer has based his career upon. And I have a theory. This is my own personal theory. Because Solskjaer was so steadfast in, to the board and Woodward, you have to get Maguire. I want Maguire. Go and sign Maguire. And that was the cost. I think the board are going to be very, very slow to release 80 or 90 million pounds for another player when they see what the value they got for for Harry Maguire. I think that signing alone 
has shown up Solskjaer, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, talk about the transfer markets. Obviously, the transfer market is on its way now. Who do you think we should buy this summer? That's, okay. realis- that's realistic as well. That's it's realistic. Obvious- so obviously, we could choose, okay. yeah, we want Ronaldo back. Yeah. But it's not going to happen, let's be honest. Okay, so we, we, we preface this with we're not playing FIFA. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, the first signing I would make, plain and simple, is we need a CDM. That's, we, we have to purchase a CDM, in my opinion. Uh, Scott McTominay, he's a box-to-box player at best. Fred... I don't know what Fred is anymore. Um, he's been he's been decent at getting around the pitch and putting tackles in, but he couldn't pass wind nor water. I made my viewpoint on Matic very, very clear. So I feel we simply must purchase a CDM. But we have not been linked to any CDMs, and that scares me. The next glaringly obvious signing is a right winger uh, last last season the, the fans were brainwashed with the Jaden Sancho saga the club spent almost three months last year on the Sancho saga and it was very simple like Dortmund were not going Dortmund had their, had a price they weren't going to deviate from the price and the club messed about and then they ended up getting in um, Diallo and that young kid, Pelestri, who's out, who's out alone as the answer to the right wing. I still feel that the right wing position has not been filled. I'd love to see us sign a centre-back. But I, again, I, I, I don't see it. The, the last sign then, um, Martial, I've never been a huge fan of Martial because for me, last season apart, he never strikes me as a player that is playing with his heart in his sleeve. Uh, This season, apart from his bits of link-up play, Martial's season has has been atrocious. Um, His marker, if he has a season next year as bad as now, he's going to have a huge drop in his market value. So I think right now, if they could sell Martial, retain Cavani. Um, I know Cavani has been a little bit injury prone, but I play Cavani over Martial every day, day of the week. So that that's my four. Um, they're four key spots. But Tally, to be perfectly honest with you, I have no confidence in the board to make even two of those signs because the Euros are on this year, as you as you know, and Paul Pogba is the big is the elephant in the room. He's got a year left in his contract. Mino Riola would love for him to sign a bumper new deal and then be sold in two years' time, or let him sit out the last year of the contract and go on a free. So I feel that Matt Judge will spend the majority of the summer flashing about on the Paul Pogba deal. And until that Paul Pogba deal is put to bed for better or for worse, I don't see much, much traction for us in the transfer market because I know Paul Pogba has his lovers and his haters and whatever one's opinion of Paul Pogba is, that that's fine. But if Paul Pogba leaves, that's another gaping hole in midfield. So, so Tavi, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. What spots do you think we need to fill? Ooh, well, it's definitely a centre-back. Uh, no question to ask. Uh, do you know what? I actually agree with you. It's a centre-back and it's a CDM. Like, when you were just uh, explaining and giving me your opinion, I was thinking, you know, we don't even have a CDM. It's just Matic. Who else do we have who's like a proper CDM? No one. Well, James Garner is out on loan at um, North Forest and is playing very, very well. 
but I but I don't expect um, Solskjaer to bring James Garner back in the summertime and suddenly put James Garner in as a sole CDM. I don't see Scotia doing that, even though I'd love to see a young kid like James Garner get a chance. Yeah, but the thing is that if Van der Beek is not really getting his chance and Van der Beek is way better player, more established player, then what chances James Garner really have at this Agreed. point? And the other thing is, if we sign a centre back or a CDM or anyone really, it needs to be that player needs to be world class. So Solskjaer has no excuses not to play him. Because if we if we play, uh, we are really linked with Paul Torres at the moment. If we sign Paul Torres, I'm thinking Solskjaer will be. You know what? He's not ready yet. Give him more time. Let's see how he trains. And it's the same situation as Van der Beek. And we still played Maguire and Lindelof. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy situation, and you're you're right on what you said, hundred percent, Abby. Sorsgar gives out these um, platitudes. Oh, we see how he trains. We see how he gets on. I'm sorry, you're signing a professional athlete that has played previously at high level at another club. He is either ready when you sign him or he's not. That's point blank. Like, for instance, um, that young lad, Diallo, he he should have been getting a lot more game time than he's got. He played, okay, I, I, know, I know he didn't play for Atlanta week in, week out, but he was very, very highly rated at Atlanta and in the Italian press. And I know he, he got that, 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 that super little headed goal um, against Enter. Uh, Storchka should have capitalized on this. Okay, right. Diallo scored. I'm going, to, I'm going to give him 20 minutes the next game. I'm going to give him 30 minutes a game after that. And be it from, he gave Diallo a little cameo appearance with a few minutes to go into Leicester. He hasn't capitalized on Diallo. Palestri, we, we don't know what's going to happen with Palestri because he, he's out alone in, in La Liga. So I take your point 100%. We have to sign a world-class CDM, a world-class centre-back, so that Soshka can't come out with that bullshit. I'm sorry, but it is bullshit. Oh, he's not ready. We see how he's training. I don't agree with that at all. Did not want the big score on his debut match. I'm sure he did. Yeah. You have me now. I, I'm not too sure. But for me, Van de Beek, from what I've seen of him thus far in out of Jersey, for me, he hasn't put a foot wrong. I just feel that his football intelligence, his movement is just far superior to anybody around him. That's that's why I'm saying Van, I'm, I'm Van de Beek. Like Van de Beek, for me, should have got a run of six, seven, eight games Beside, beside Bruno Fernandes and with Fred sitting at the uh, CDM and see how that went. What's the worst thing could happen? We might, we might have won 3-2 or conceded three, scored four or vice versa. So what? You try it, you see how it works. But instead, we go on the successive run of nil-nil, 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 1-1. That's not the football I want to watch. I was just looking it up now, uh, if it actually was a debut match. And yeah, it was. It says, Donny Van der Beek became the 20th Manchester United player to score on his Premier League debut during the Reds' 3-1 defeat to Crystal Palace on Saturday. So he, okay, scored, that, he scored on his debut match. That's startling. And I'm sure if you Googled um, how many games he started after that, they'd be minuscule. Absolutely, definitely. Again, think... that's on the manager. That's on the manager. It's not on the board. Yeah. Are there any players? Oh, I'm sure there is. Anyone you would sell from Manchester United? I know it's going to be a long answer, probably. There has to be quite a few players, let's be honest. Anybody I would sell right now? Okay. Um, in, in an ideal world, okay. Say, I'm director of football right now, okay? 
and I, I'm, I'm let do what I want without Matt Judge and Woodward getting getting in my ear. Okay, I feel Jesse Lingard, all credit to Jesse Lingard. Right now, his market value is probably 20, 25 million. He has reignited his career at West Ham. Respect to Jesse Lingard. Right now, for me, Declan Rice, he's low-hanging fruit at uh, sorry, at West Ham. I say, right, West Ham, here's 50 million cash. You can have Jesse. That's the first deal I would do. It would make sense. A swap deal. Yeah, swap deal for Jesse Lingard. Um, if I was playing FIFA, which which I'm not, I would do a swap deal Pogba for Ronaldo. But that's that's just FIFA to FIFA stuff. But in, in the real world, I would sell Dean Henderson. I think Henderson, he's probably worth 30 million or thereabouts. And I would probably try and sell him, if possible, to a team like Sevilla and get and get Paul Torres. Or if Sevilla were open to it, do a straight swap for Paul for Paul Torres. Their club is going to put out the agenda of COVID environment, less money, blah, 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 blah. So why not? Why not go down the American football route and trade players of similar of similar value? I then would look at Anthony Martial. How, how much do you think Martial is worth in the current climate based on his performance this season? 30, 40 million or thereabouts. There's a player playing out in Germany, uh, Jovic. I think he's, he's with Stuttgart. I, I, might, I might be mistaken. He was with um, Real Madrid and he went back to his club. I'd look at, at getting Jovic in with 30 million for Martial, if you could do it. So I would definitely look at doing swap deals if I was director of football. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a quite interesting player from from Bundesliga, I think, uh, Andre Silva. Yeah, I've who, heard of him. Who could be an option. But again, is he's a striker, but we definitely need a centre-back at CDM. Right. You mentioned Henderson. Uh, you would sell Henderson. Let's talk about Henderson and Tegea situation. Because it's something that really frustrates me big time. The whole goalkeeping situation. I think media is so disrespectful towards David Tegea at the moment. No, David Tegea, let's pronounce it correctly. He's having a really good season. He's not made any mistakes and media is going after him. It's pretty obvious that media and even some fans, they just want new toy and that's where the Henderson comes in. In my opinion, Henderson has done nothing to replace David Tegea as a number one goalkeeper. From what I've seen, Henderson is just a goalkeeper who is able to get the job done. But with David De Gea, you get the world-class goalkeeper. And he still is world-class. He's still young for a goalkeeper. I think he's only 30 years old. So he's still got like seven years. What do you, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, for a goalkeeper, uh, David De Gea is still a young goalkeeper. When you consider uh, Gigi Buffon, but what's Gigi? Gigi's, Gigi's 41, 42, and he is the backup goalkeeper still at Juve. So a goalkeeper can play well into their late 30s, early 40s. I'll take your point on that new toy syndrome that right now for certain elements of the fan base, uh, Dean Henderson or Dino, as, as Solskjaer would, would refer to him as, seems to be that new toy. I did um, an entire video on this topic on my uh, Instagram account, and I ran the numbers on the salaries paid to Dean Henderson and De Gea. Both gentlemen earn a combined of £480,000 per week, which equates to £25 million per annum. So we spend £25 million per annum on two goalkeepers. And that's not including 
the 80 grand a week that we paid to um, Romero, who I highly rated as a goalkeeper. I don't think when he played for us, Romero put a foot wrong, to be honest with you. And then we're also paying um, Grant a salary. I don't know what that is. So we clearly, we, we are overpaying on salaries for four goalkeepers that clearly we don't need. Um, De Gea, I agree with you. This season, he hasn't put a foot wrong. Last season, yes, he did make some glaring errors. But I, for me, De Gea is back to his best. No question about it. This season, the goals that we've conceded have been on the two um, centre-backs and the CDMs making mistakes and also down to Solskjaer's persistence with zone marking, which it's been proven in many games, isn't working. So for me, I agree. It is media-driven bias. The English media do want, they want Dean Henderson as the number one for the European Championships. So the last two months, there has been a full court press from the Red Tops in the UK and Sky Sports. And even last week, uh, the BBC did a hatchet job on David De Gea. They went as far as getting um, a retired England goalkeeper, Paul Robinson, if, my name, if the name's correct, to do an analysis on De Gea. The, I almost held the BBC up as a this paragon or virtue in English journalism, but clearly I was wrong. They did a hatch job on, on David De Gea, exposing his mistakes, which this season have been very, very few, I would argue, and exposing and exaggerating how good Henderson was because the media in the UK want Henderson as number one goalkeeper for the European Championships. And I would argue if Dean Henderson was an Irish, American, or any nationality of goalkeeper, would the English media have been putting out the propaganda to get him to play as the United number one? I don't believe so. I definitely agree. Definitely agree. It's just so ridiculous what is going on. But I'm just looking at the time and we are starting to go over time uh, slightly. Um, so I have something interesting in mind uh, to end the show. Obviously, there are so many other things I would love to talk about. We're just running out of time. So maybe next time. Yeah, sure. So just to end the show, uh, I've got something interesting in mind. You know, after every show, I like to do a little game with, with the guests <clears throat> and see how it goes. So the idea is I'm giving you two players to choose from, two Manchester United players, and you just choose which one you like the best or which one you prefer. And, okay. if, you have a, and if you have an interesting story about it, feel free to share it. So the first one, Scholes or Bruno Fernandes? Oh. <laughs> oh. That's, that's, like asking, that's like asking me, do I want my partner to go with my best friend and my brother? Oh, my God, Tabby, that's horrific. <laughs> Question. My God, I, I had to say it. I had to. I told we were friends. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, I I've made no um secret that I'm a massive fan of Bruno. No secret. However, that being said, Bruno hasn't won anything yet in the United Jersey through no fault of his own. So for that reason, and because of his longevity, and because Scholes was part of the Class 992, I've got to go with Paul Scholes. Yeah, well, Scholes is a legend, and Bruno Fernandes, yeah, undoubtedly, is, is the game changer uh, we, we needed, and he's the reason why we are second in the league at the moment. Fact. Uh, the second one. Daniel James or Scott McTominay? Oh, God. It's getting worse. That's Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we can't go, make it easy. I'll go, okay, uh, first of all, okay, I don't believe either of them should be a starter for Manchester United, first of all. So based on that, I'm going to go with 
Scott McTominay, um, for me, is a box-to-box midfielder. He's been shoehorned into play CDM. I've got no problem with him being a backup box-to-box. And looking at McTominay, if, if, if the ball is bouncing 10 yards from the box, who do I want to get on into that shot? Fred and McTominay or Dan James? I'd pick Scott McTominay, 100%. He's got a great shot in him. Big engine. So, yeah, Scott McTominay over Dan James, most certainly. My favourite player of all time, David Beckham or Ryan Giggs? I'm going to, I'm going to go with Beckham. Um, I, would like, I would like to meet Beckham in the flesh someday uh, because during the 90s and 90s, I had absolutely every single one of his haircuts. Like me, good-looking man. So, yeah, David Beckham. I was exactly the same with the haircuts. You know, I went to the hairdresser. <laughs> and now, like, every time I went to the hairdresser, I always had a different picture of David Beckham, a different haircut. And I went to the hairdresser. That's what I want. Every yeah, the only, the only one, Tavi, I didn't have. When he played for um, Real Madrid, he rocked out at one match with corn rolls. I'm sorry, corn rolls do not look good in a white man. So on that, I had to draw the line. But every other haircut, I had. And and when he left Manchester United, oh, it was devastating. Yeah, yeah um, on that point, on that point, I, I read um, both of Beckham's um, biographies. Actually, good read, both of them are. And for me, that that was Ferguson. You know, Ferguson, Ferguson, no, unquestionably is the greatest for me, the greatest manager of all time. But his treatment of Beckham, Yapstam, Roy, Roy Keane is unforgivable. So during that era, I would have been definitely supporting Beckham over Alex Ferguson, no question about it. And here's the reason why I support Manchester United, really. I started watching David Beckham first before Manchester United. And obviously, he played for Manchester United. And then the team kind of stuck with me in a good way. And that's why I support Manchester United now. Okay, and that's fair. That's my, that's my story. How, how did you become a Manchester United fan? Quickly. Um, like most Irish children, um, you support whomever your father and grandfather supported. So after the Second World War, my grandfather went to Manchester to work. And it just grew, it just grew from there. Well, fair enough. Right, next one. Cantona or Wayne Rooney? Cantona. Vidic or 100%. Ferdinand? Uh, Rio, I, I listen to Rio's podcast every week. I think very intelligent guy, very intelligent guy. Um, almost love Rio. And, you know, like a ball playing centre back that could have played CDM if he wanted to. I think Rio was that good. And then you got Vidic, who was just an absolute warrior at the back. Um, I find it very, very hard to split them. I'm only going to go with Rio. For a simple reason, Vidic, from my memory, if memory serves correctly, left the club because his wife didn't like Manchester and wanted to move to a hotter climate. So only based on that, I'm picking Rio. Luke Shaw or Patrice Evra? Okay. Um, Again, I'm loving these questions because they're really making me think. If, if I'm being, yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, okay, Luke Shaw has had a phenomenal season this year, no question about it. And he's up there for player of the year in the Premiership with Bruno Fernandes, no question about it. Uh, Luke Shaw's performed this year, I think are predicated on the fact that he's got Brazilian international, a real Brazilian, not a Fred Brazilian, Alex Tellez breathing down his neck. However, Patrice Irva, 
won Champions League, won premierships. And I know you can say, okay, Erva played in a better team. I still believe Erva was a better crosser of the ball than Shaw. So based on, on what Erva has won, and he was a better crosser of the ball, I'll pick Patrice. Michael of Andesar. Ooh, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. Um, I'm going to go with Smichael only because this, this is a stupid, this is a stupid reason, right? Only because, right? I listened to an interview with Roy King. Okay. Do you recall the infamous um, 2005 when Roy Keane got ousted from the club because he made some comments on a post-match video when United got beaten by Middlesbrough. Do you remember that context? I remember that one, yes. Yeah, yeah. so there's, a, there's an interview on Irish radio, which I'll actually send to you. It's Roy Keane and Gary Neville. And Roy Keane goes into great detail about that um, post-match and how he got ambushed by Ferguson. So basically, Roy Keane is in is in this conference room, and Ferguson has just showed the video to the players, and the player most of the players have no problem with it. And then the Sar pipes up to Roy Keane, "All oh, right, you're, you're a little bit harsh there," and of course, Roy being Roy says, "Listen, Edwin, you've already been here five minutes. You've done more interviews in five minutes than I have in five years. Now sit down, Edwin." So we based on that, I'm going to pick Michael. <laughs> And um, it came out in Roy Keane's um, biography that himself and um, Smichael ended up having a fist fight to, to resolve some issue. And when Ferguson got wind of it, they were called into Ferguson's office. Both of them covered in, in bruises and neither Schmeichel nor Roy Keane would um, grasp on the other because they had the mutual respect. So, look, at I'm Irish. I'm going to be a massive Roy Keane fan. I've met the man twice. He's a legend for me. So, based on that, I'm going to pick Michael. Right. Since you mentioned Roy Keane, let's go big. Roy Keane or Cristiano Ronaldo? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, again, uh, for me, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's the greatest player of all time. He's done it at every club he's been with. He dragged Portugal to a European championship. Roy Keane single-handedly dragged Ireland into a World Cup finals, but unfortunately, he had another disagreement with a manager and and ended up going home. Um, It's a tough one. I'm going to have to go, actually, with Cristiano. Cristiano... Cristiano achieved more in his career for me than Roy Keane did. So I'm sorry, Roy, for listening. I got to go, go with Cristiano Ronaldo. I would love to have Ronaldo. Like, I really do. It is what it is. Okay, I'll ask you a question. How do you feel or what do you think could be the mechanics of us getting back Cristiano this summer? Oh. In, in 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 which way? In in he's got a year left in his contract. Pogba has a year left in his contract. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, obviously, it would make sense, you know, Pogba to Juventus and Ronaldo back to Manchester United. But I'm pretty sure it's been said by uh, what was his name? Uh, this really really popular sports journalist from Italy. Uh, Fabrizio Fabrizio Romano? Romano, yes. I'm pretty sure he said that it's not going to happen, that Ronaldo stays in Juventus for another year. And then after after, after the one year, he goes for free to a different club. So I don't think think anything is going to happen this summer. I'd still take Ronaldo next season for a year. Oh, Just the sheer fan and sentiment in me. Cristiano Ronaldo, one year. And you know, you know what would be amazing, right? Cristiano Ronaldo 
back at United one season and Netflix to do a last dance on Ronaldo at United. That would be amazing. I would swap anyone for Ronaldo, really. Except, I don't know, but when it comes to Bruno Fernandes, that makes me think, you know, I really don't want to get rid of Bruno Fernandes. But any other player, I think I would do it. My fear with Bruno is this. Say next season, we are sitting here having the same conversation. We're second, could be third, could be fourth. We are back in Europa League. We are not really on the cusp of winning anything. And in come a Real Madrid or a Barcelona with 100 million for Bruno. What does, what does Bruno do? So that's my fear. Um, next one. Fletcher or Sebastian Veron? Um, as a player, Sebastian Veron was far superior to Fletcher. No, no question about it. Um, I don't think he got a consistent enough run of games in, in the Premiership because he had a Kino skulls and butt ahead of him. But in the Champions League games that, I, that he played for United, Sebastian Varane was running the show because the pace was that little bit slower. So I'm, I actually go with Sebastian Varane. What do you think about Fletcher joining Manchester United staff? I think he's a technical director now. Yeah, so it came out this week that as a net result of that happening, um, Nicky Butt left the club. Nicky Butt, the last vestige of the class of 92, That's leaving the club. It's a huge loss because uh, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't get on personally, excuse me, with John, what's his name, John, John? You know the guy I'm referring to, the new director of football. His name escapes me. Uh, I, I believe this, you know, Fletcher becoming technical director. Then we have the appointment of John X. And then Matt Judge is still in charge of negotiations. For me, and I said this on Twitter, is the equivalent of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Have you seen this uh, interview uh, with Solsa? I think it was released a couple of days ago. It was uh, fans Q&A questions and answers. And No, oh, you I haven't. To, you need I'll, to tell you why, I'll tell you why I haven't watched it yet. Because if it's on the Man United social media site, it's going to be sanitized. So for me, that's why I haven't watched it. But if you're recommending it, I'll have a look. I mean... Solskjaer made quite interesting points and I think and, w- and one of the questions was quite interesting which Manchester United players Bruno Fernandes reminds you of or something along the lines and he named three players can you guess who they are? Um, Roy Keane uh, Cantona Paul Scholes you got two of them it is Okay, Paul, who do you say? Uh, Paul Scholes Cantona and Veron. Interesting, interesting. I didn't expect Veron. I, I did thought, you know, Paul scores, I can see that Cantona, definitely, mm. you know, considering the impact. So the last one, because we really need to wrap things up. Ibrahimovic or Cavani? Very similar players uh, when it comes to the Manchester United career. Beyond question, one of my favourite players of the last 20 years, the Lion, Zaltan Ibrahimovic. Incidentally, the very first jersey, my son, who's now seven, the very first jersey he got when he knew his favourite players was a Zaltan Ibrahimovic jersey. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, people keep telling me I look like Zlatan. Don't know what that was all about. Take your take a compliment, my friend. Compliment. <laughs> I think it's the hair. <laughs> right. 
there you go, ladies and gentlemen. On that bombshell, it's time to wrap things up and right into the sunset. Now, thank you, Jay, for joining today. Hope you're, you, you're more than welcome. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, good fun. Really, we'll we do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely, guys. Yeah, there were so many other questions I would love to ask to talk about. But yeah, it's officially the longest episode at the moment, which is a which is a compliment to you. This, thank you, really, and really good, really good points as well. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, it's easy on both Instagram and Twitter. It's J Daily United, all lowercase. There you go. Go and check it out. And thank you everyone for listening. And I'll see you next time.